0: so in a youtube video that went viral years ago one mother decided to teach her son a lesson on christmas day while the older brother captured it all on camera little jonathan her son had been sneaking around on christmas eve and found the spot where mom hid the presents He couldn't wait just one more day. He needed to find out if he got the Xbox 360, and he did. Well, Mama found out, and she was having none of it. So she decided to Christmas wrap the Xbox 360's green cardboard box while taking the Xbox 360 out, filling it with winter clothes. This is where the YouTube video begins. So you can imagine Jonathan's expression as he's ripping off the wrapping paper. All right, utter joy. He looked shocked. He looked grateful. This kid was a good actor because he knew what was in the box. But then his family begins to urge him open the box. Joy for little Johnny quickly turned into confusion. And then anger. While his brother is zooming in on his face with the camera. Jonathan then starts staring down his mom in rage. The video ends with his family leaving the room. And he's all alone. Tears welling up in his eyes as his brother is mocking him. Now now I'm still new to parenting, so I could be wrong, but this just seemed cruel. Right? I, th- I think a nice little spanking would have done the job. <laughs> now, now, in all fairness, the brother who posted the video made sure the viewers knew that his mom ended up giving Jonathan the Christmas present. Right? If you scrolled down and read the small print description, which nobody does. So everyone is left wondering what lesson did Jonathan learn, right? Yes, Jonathan in his rebellion did what he should not have done by looking for his gifts. But was his mom right to do what she did? Did did Jonathan's sin justify his mom's response? Talk about someone raising someone else's hopes up only to be crushed humiliated and witnessed by 2.4 million online strangers. Is this how moms treat their sons? I say all that to say this, this sense of betrayal that was on Jonathan's face was exactly what the Jewish Christians in Paul's argument in this letter to the church at Rome were feeling towards God. If what Paul said thus far is true, that both Jew and Gentile are on a level playing field, that that the Jews are actually no better off than the Gentiles, even though they have the law of God, that God will render every person according to their works, and the works of the law will not justify. Well, then for the Jew, God is unfaithful. What kind of jacked up prank is this? We're only boasting in what he gave us. It's the law that says you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. The Jew is thinking, Paul, you're, you're telling me, you, you're telling me that, that, that God gave us his chosen people. The law, But as we open up this gift from God, it's filled with death. You're crazy, Paul. That's the argument Paul's been having now with this made-up Jewish character for several weeks. These Jewish Christians are Christians. Jesus is their Messiah. But they've been finding their identity in their Jewishness and in their doing of the law. Jesus plus law. They're boasting in how well they keep the law. They're boasting in their Jewish identity as God's people. They're looking down on their Gentile brothers and sisters in Rome who don't adhere to the law. And as we've seen, the first three and a half chapters, the letter to the Romans has been quite dark. Paul has leveled the playing field. Because of man's depravity, all are under God's wrath. Wrath. Now, last week, we did get some light, right? Ryan did an amazing job unpacking to us Paul's scandalous gospel of grace at the end of chapter three. What must one do to be saved? Justification by the grace of God as a gift. And because of this gospel of grace that is received by faith, boasting is excluded and Gentiles are included. There's no boasting about how well one keeps the law. God is not impressed. There's no boasting in Jewish nationalism, nationalism, because the ethnic Jew is not the apple of God's eye. And the Gentiles Or for the Jew, the the filthy Gentiles are in. The question that permeates Romans 4, our text this morning, is this. Who are the people of God and how are they justified? Paul's going to explain to this church in Rome and to us in Parker that those who believe belong. And they only belong because they believe. So if you would open your Bibles to Romans chapter four, Romans chapter four, I'm going to start by reading verses 27 to 31 of chapter three, before we jump into our text, not only to remind you of the context, but also Romans four is actually a commentary on these verses. So let's begin in verse 27 of chapter three. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcision by faith faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then overthrow this law? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Boasting is excluded. Why? Faith alone. Gentiles are included. How? Faith alone. So throw away the law, Paul, Heck no, he says. Paul already said earlier that the law and the prophets testified to the gospel of grace alone through faith alone. Now he's going to use an example. Their own beloved Abraham. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our father, our forefather according to the flesh? for if Abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before God before we jump into Paul's wonderful faith alone midrash let, let's pause real quick to see what he's about to do right after he ends chapter 3 by saying we uphold the law he really gets their attention by bringing up father Abraham I I was at I was at the international Center of Torah Studies this week in town, and I was talking to a a Jewish Christian who who upholds the law. He adheres to all six hundred thirteen of them. And one of the things I asked him was, "What are your thoughts on on Abraham?" Man, and and reverence, reverence was is how I would I would define his endearment to Abraham. He, he told me one of God's titles is the God of Abraham, We're crying out loud. He said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is Israel. This means Abraham is the founding father. There are no Jewish people without Abraham. Abraham is kind of a big deal to the Jew. So, when Paul brings up Abraham to explain to these Jewish Christians in Rome that this understanding of faith alone is not new, but that it actually goes back to Abraham, you can hear a pin drop in Rome. Abraham is a revered figure in Jewish history, and he was considered by Jews then and today to be perfect in obedience. Perfect. In obedience. According to Jewish theology, he was the prototype for the Jew and by his works gained himself righteousness. Paul says, No. He's, act, he's, he's actually the prototype for the Christian. And by faith alone, Abraham was righteous before God. Paul is saying, If you miss the chronology of Abraham's story, then you will miss the theology of. Of God's people namely those righteous by faith alone can Abraham boast in his flesh or not is he justified by works or not verse 3 and 23 verse 3 and 22 become the structure for Paul's argument here in chapter 4 look at verse 3 for what does the scripture say Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul quotes Genesis 15:6 with God's promise to Abraham to explain how Father Abraham was justified. Look at verse 22. He sums up his argument when he says verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, again quoting Genesis 15:6. So with Genesis fifteen six as our bracket, Paul's message has four movements. First, faith apart from works. Second, faith apart from circumcision. Third, faith apart from the law. And fourth, faith apart from sight. Who are the people of God and how are they justified? First, faith apart from works. Look at verse 3 again. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We've seen week after week in, in, in this letter to the Romans how the fall in Eden affected everything. The spiral downward from Eden to Rome to Parker has pervasive effects. This morning, through Abraham's story, Paul shows us the upward spiral from Eden. After the fall, God made a promise. The first gospel proclamation from the seed of a woman, a Messiah is coming. Well, fast forward from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12, and we meet Abraham. He's a pagan moon worshiper. Probably not a guy you want to date your daughter. But by the sheer grace of God, he calls Abraham out of this land and promises him that he will make Abraham a great nation. Make his name great and bless him so that he would bring blessing and be the father to all nations. By Genesis 15, Abraham is wondering who his heir will be. Him and his wife, Sarah, are getting old, really old, and no child yet. God promised a great nation to come from Abraham. Abraham was starting to doubt. He had taken his sex ed class in in the land of Ur, and he was wondering, how is God's promise going to come to fruition? So in Genesis 15, we have God's covenant with Abraham. God shows up and tells him, look to heaven. Count the stars if you're able. And then he says, so shall your offspring be. And then comes verse six, which Paul picks up in our passage. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, what in the world is going on? In short, Abraham believes the gospel, though in embryonic form, Abraham believes the gospel. The seed of the woman from Genesis three is coming through Abraham and his offspring will number the stars. In in Galatians 3 verse 8, Paul says, speaking of this covenant that God made with Abraham, says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Why is Abraham righteous before God? Because He believed the gospel. Abraham was justified by faith. Back to Paul's argument in Romans 4. Look at verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. God justifies the ungodly. We don't clean ourselves up and then come to God. We come as we are, and by faith alone, God declares us righteous. Amen. I I got a text this week from a, a family member of mine who struggles to grasp this concept. Righteous before God by faith alone. This person who I believe is a a, a Christian told me that she's tried to be a Christian. But at the end of the day, she doesn't think she's good enough to be a Christian. I reminded her of this concept. Righteous. We are righteous before God. Faith alone. Uh, A preacher in London years ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he used to ask people if they were a Christian. And if they said, I'm trying, he knew they didn't understand the gospel of grace through faith. Abraham and us are righteous before God, not on the basis of our effort, our striving, our good deeds, our trying, but in our trusting in our believing faith alone. You may have heard God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. (laughs) Instead, God makes those who are helpless and yet trust in him, his righteous people by faith alone. Look at verse six. Paul says, Just as David, now he's bringing up David, bringing up all the heavy hitters. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Here, Paul quotes another Old Testament passage, Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2. He shows these Jewish Christians that it's not just Abraham, but even their beloved King David spoke of a righteousness apart from works, a righteousness by faith. And the blessings, the blessings of this righteousness include forgiveness of sin. Because of this gospel, which was announced after the fall, testified by the law and the prophets, And now fully revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the righteousness of God is available for those who believe. Forgiveness of sin, apart from any work received through faith alone. Those who believe belong. They belong to God, forgiven and righteous before him. And they only belong because they believe. Like one Romans commentator said, far from overthrowing the law, Paul shows how faith achieves the purpose of God's covenant, that all nations would be blessed in Abraham apart from works. But does all nations really mean all nations, Paul? And that takes us to the second movement of Romans chapter four, faith apart from circumcision. So let's read this section, starting in verse nine. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. In in these four verses, Paul explains that God declared Abraham righteous by faith before the nation of Israel existed before he was given the covenant sign of circumcision, Abraham by faith alone as a Gentile was righteous before God. Circumcision was simply a sign, a symbol of the status that Abraham already had a righteous friend of God. And why does this chronology matter to Paul? Because Theology matters to Paul. And without good theology, heresy is crouching at the corner. Does one need to become a Jew to become a Christian? There's a lot at stake here. Look at the middle of verse 11. Paul says, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe. The question these verses answer is simple. Who are Abraham's true children? They aren't those who simply have the Jewish identity marks or or those who are obedient to the law. Rather, Abraham's children are those who share the same faith Abraham had. In Galatians 3, 7, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The people of God are a diverse community. When Paul wrote this letter and now, the Gentiles are not second-tier Christians or unwanted children. By faith alone, they are members of God's family. Abraham is their father adopted into the family of God. And Paul is saying this family is the family of faith. Not the family of Jewish ethnicity and law-keeping. The family of faith. If one shares the same faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. David Platt is, is, a, is a well-known pastor in Washington, D.C., him and his wife Heather adopted their son Caleb from Kazakhstan while they were still living in Alabama. And and they were often asked if Caleb knows much about his family's history, his cultural identity. Resisting the the temptation that that assumes all identity is bound up in, in one's birth culture and bloodline, David Platt will usually respond with something like this. Quote, Actually, Caleb does know a lot about his family heritage. Caleb has more family heritage than he knows what to do with. And not just family heritage, we're very intentional about teaching his cultural heritage. He is familiar with cultural literature like Mr. Brown can moo. Can you? And good night, Mr. Moon. Or and Goodnight Moon. He knows all about his culture's foods like barbecue and mac and cheese and and watermelon and birthday cake. He's very familiar with cultural music. He probably can't identify a Kazakh song right now, but he knows our church's worship CD backwards and forwards. He may not yet know the Kazakh national anthem, but he has heard Sweet Home Alabama. Who belongs to the family of God? Who are Abraham's children. Those who believe. This was not an easy word for these Jewish Christians to hear. They wanted their fellow Gentile siblings to assimilate into their cultural identity, become Jews in order to be a part of God's family. Paul is not only addressing their legalistic hearts, but also their ethnic prejudice. This family, this family of faith, ethnic Jews, and adopted Gentiles do share a cultural identity. God by faith, by faith alone. Where do you find your identity this morning? Where do you find your deepest identity this morning, where you truly belong? Those who believe are Abraham's children. And we are only Abraham's children because we believe. Third, faith apart from the law. Look with me at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The Jews can get mad all they want because the law isn't what they expected it to be. Just like little Jonathan and his Xbox. But unlike Jonathan's mom, whose parenting is suspect at best, God is not unfaithful there's actually nothing wrong with the law the the problem is it was never intended to bring righteousness actually because of human depravity the law brings wrath the law is good but it's good at showing you that you don't measure up to it the promise of god to abraham on the other hand That God's people from all nations will eventually inherit the earth. Well, the law does not cash in on that promise. It was not intended to. But faith, faith does. Faith alone. Look down at verse 16. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. Promise, grace, and faith. One scholar, Richard Longnecker, says all true religion rests on this three-legged stool. Promise, grace, and faith. Michael Bird says Romans 6, 4.16 is the John 3.16 of Paul's theology. Promise, grace, and faith. Let's read verse 16 one more time. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. If you haven't caught it yet, Paul is using one long chapter to say one thing. Romans 4 presents faith and faith alone as the means by which one is brought into God's family. And the condition to which one is justified before God. And finally, Paul's fourth movement before we get into some application. Faith apart from sight. Faith apart from sight. Hebrews eleven one. Hebrews 11, 1, It gives us a nice one sentence definition of faith. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Assurance about what we do not see. Faith is apart from sight. And Paul is going to finish off his argument here in Romans 4 by showing us what faith looks like in real life. Through Abraham's story. It's this kind of faith that brings justification and this kind of faith that Abraham's Jews and Gentiles. Look with me at verse 17. I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of uh, of, of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham and Sarah are past the age of childbearing, but God promised him that he would be the father of many nations. He believed God. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word. Even when you can't see how his promise may come to pass. The God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. Gave Abraham a promise. And Abraham trusted God. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Those who believe apart from sight belong. And they only belong because they believe. And before we get into our application, I I I have a quick aside here. I, I do wonder if God wants to encourage us in our faith walk By the way, the Bible speaks about Abraham's faith. Him and Sarah were past the age to make babies, and he believed God would make him a father. That is why his faith is counted to him as righteousness. He believed the gospel. But if you look at the life of Abraham, his saving faith was not perfect, not by any means just after the covenant that God made with him in Genesis 15 that Paul is using where he believed God, by the next chapter, chapter 16, he decides it's a good idea to sleep with Hagar, his wife's servant, to get the child that way. And if you know Abraham's story, we see this time and time again in Abraham's life. Great moments of faithfulness, like giving up Isaac, his only son, and hard moments of weakness, like lying about his wife being his sister and giving her up to the authorities that be twice. By faith, he is credited righteousness, but his faith lived out on this side of Eden was far from perfect. I don't know about you guys, but that was really encouraging to me this week. Read Hebrews eleven sometime, and and and, and see how God views Abraham, or or in our text, unwavering faith, unwavering faith. It reminds me of all the baseball dads that I, that I talk to as a coach and, and, and what they think of their kids as baseball players. Sometimes I'm just scratching my head like, are you watching the same game as I am? <laughs> your, your kid is not that good. But, but, but all, all jokes aside, I, I think we can take from this that our true active faith apart from sight on this side of Eden won't be perfect. Like you'll never have a doubt creep into your mind or you'll always trust God's plans perfectly. And by our faith, we, we can please God and we can displease God. But ultimately, because of faith, God as our father looks on us with pleasure. Why? Because through faith in him, we are righteous. Through faith in him, we are righteous. I, I, I heard this, this bridge illustration years ago. Um, and it was so helpful for me to understand true faith. Um, if, if, if there's a bridge that we're all called to walk across... Faith is us walking on the bridge, trusting the bridge to get us to the other side. We're not going to walk on a bridge we don't trust. One person may, may walk across that bridge with so much confidence, certain they will reach the other side. And they do. Another person may walk across that same bridge Doubting every step. Fearful, anxious, one step forward, two steps back. Afraid this old wooden bridge is going to break when I get to the middle. They keep taking steps. They make it to the other side. Saved. What matters is not the strength of our faith. God gives each of us different measures of faith. What matters is the object of our faith. In this illustration, the bridge and the object of our faith is God himself. Our faith is counted as righteousness, not because our faith is awesome and perfect, but that the object of our faith is And to that end, let's turn to our application, which will come in verse 23 through 25. Look at verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. By faith alone, we are justified like Abraham. The God who calls into existence the things that don't exist, like the birth of Isaac at 100 years old, is the same God that brings to life our Lord Jesus from the dead, who went to the cross for our sin. And if he stayed in the grave, if Jesus stayed dead, we would still be dead in our sin. But God raised up Jesus from the dead for our justification. His resurrection was God's way to vindicate him and make it possible for him to declare us his righteous people just to be reminded of the importance of this doctrine of justification, this doctrine which Luther said the church will stand or fall on. Listen to this definition of justification from Michael Byrd. He says, Justification is God's declaration that a person is forgiven, acquitted, and in a right relationship with God. Justification is the act whereby God creates a new people with a new status in a new covenant as part of the new age. Let's read verse 23 through 25 again. But the words it was counted to him Abraham were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us, to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you believe in him who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead? Let me leave you with those applications. First, faith alone, this doctrine breeds humility. All boasting is excluded. By what kind of law? The law of faith. We don't boast in our works. We don't boast in our achievements. We don't boast in our success, in our financial status, our social status, our ethnicity, our country, our children, our knowledge, our wisdom, our might. We boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This doctrine of faith alone, sola fide, humbles us. Because we did nothing. Even the faith we have is a gift from God. One scholar says, The ground and realization of justification reside in God's grace alone, as it appeared in Jesus Christ. And only the faith awakened by God through the gospel allows a person to participate in it. We stand as those counted righteous by God because of God and God alone. This doctrine humbles us. Let us be a humble people, RP. And last, be who you are. Be who you are through faith alone we are the righteousness of god we've literally been given a new status this righteousness of god that has been credited to us is not gradual transformation it's instant reckoning through faith be who you are be who you already are the righteousness of god let's pray Lord thank you thank you for salvation thank you that you justify us that you count us righteous before you based on nothing that we have brought to the table but by faith alone Lord we praise you that this this doctrine humbles us God make us a humble people And cause us to leave this place living out the reality of what we already are in Christ. Amen.